today on Gigdemin Powers. And what what did it what did that feel like? Like being nominated, uh, winning? What is that? It was weird. How did, how did you feel? It was weird. I mean, to, in 2012, I had no bloody idea how any of this worked. In 2014, I was up for the Nebula. It was it was crazy. Uh-huh. It was just nuts. it was like what's happening? I don't understand. How is this? What what is going on here? <laughs> It was nuts. I mean, it was, um, I don't know. I really lucked out. I'm very fortunate in that way. People, I, I have friends, I have teachers, I have friends who've done this for 20 years. And, you know, you know, they, they, they have not been, I mean, you know, it's, I'm not saying that anyone should want anything. I'm just saying that it was just weird. I, I, it was like I smashed through those couple of barriers overnight. It, it was as if suddenly I understood what I wanted to do. And once I understood what I wanted to do, I was not afraid anymore. You are listening to Geekdom Empowers, the podcast about people empowered through their geekiness. Welcome back! My name is Guy Hasson and you are listening to Geekdom Empowers. Give Them in Powers is the podcast that highlights creators and fans in the geek world who do not often get to be highlighted. It's these people, it is us, who make up almost all of the geek world. By talking to each person, by hearing their stories, Give Them in Powers creates a huge, giant, world-sized quilt of the geeks all around the world. Each person is a story, and together we are one story, one huge geekverse quilt. I've been away. I was sick, and then I got COVID as soon as I got better. I'm better now, feeling good, feeling healthy. It's behind me. We had about one episode a week for a while. We are back. Today's guest is Osman Malik, a Pakistani fantasy, science fiction, and horror author, winner of the British Fantasy Award, the Bram Stoker Award, nominated for the Nebula, and so much more we're going to go over. Osman takes us through his journey as a writer and talks about the science fiction and fantasy scene in Pakistan, much of which, if you don't live in Pakistan, I'm sure you've never heard of, also if you do live in Pakistan, so as we'll hear. It is fascinating. Let's listen to Osman's journey. Can you tell me a little bit about your origin story? How did you start in science fiction, fantasy, like as a kid? You know, I mean, I never thought about science fiction or fantasy as genres when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, I just read, right? I mean, I just read what I liked. Um, and um, in Pakistan, when I was growing, I grew up in Pakistan. So when I grew up here, I had, I rarely read in English at all till maybe grade three or four, something like that. Where My, in Pakistan? In Pakistan, yes. Where in Pakistan? Uh, Lahore, Pakistan. And so um, I grew up reading a lot of Urdu um books for children and so they were urdu digest they were urdu like you know baby newspaper like kid news kiddie newspapers that sort of stuff so i i was very i mean that's what that's where i started off and um i and then i was a voracious reader i think from grade two onwards i was just a voracious reader in urdu so i read all the all the stuff that i liked was fantasy fairy tales stories magic adventure and then we have epics in Dastan, which is a, an epic, uh, a, a sort of epic in our part of the world. Um, and um, so I grew up reading those. And as I grew up, I started reading the, the classic adult literature. Wait, wait, what is it, Dastan? 
What is it? A dastan is basically an. It's kind of like a, a an epic. It's an ep. It's a, a, an. So an average dastan, like the there is a dastan called the talisme hoshruba. The magic, the, the literal meaning of talisme hoshruba, is the magical construct that blows your mind. That's the literal okay. translation. So talisme hoshruba is an epic. which is over 25 volumes like these thick volumes so it's it is one, one story of the 25 volumes this thick it's one story it's one book right go uh, call the dasta the talisman hoshruba that is almost 25 26 volumes each book is this thick so it's 25 volumes each this thick so one of the longest epics in probably history ever um and Sorry. Is it is it written by one person? Um I we believe so. We believe so. And it was the all these stories were told orally in India and Pakistan and South Asia. Um so you know that's I I kind of grew up reading the abridged version of these stories and then fan fiction of this dastan basically. And then well, I I have to know more because uh it's it's fascinating. Like how old is it? Is it hundreds of years old? Thousands, tens of years old? Yeah. definitely several hundred years old probably 3 400 at least 3 400 if not 500 um but definitely hundreds of years old and what is it about it's about this basically it's actually a kind of a sequel there's another epic called the adventures of amir hamza which is also several volumes um, but it's smaller and amir hamza's best friend is this trickster whose name is in arabic they say amarayar but it's in urdu i didn't know that you pronounce it a certain way so i just everyone in pakistan calls it umru okay and so umru ayar umru the trickster is basically the the protagonist of this dastan and he fights this there's a land of hoshruba uh, the land that will blow your mind with its evil king and emperors and sorcerers and tricksters and armies of tricksters battling each other and Uh, spies and uh, umru ayar is known for something called his zambil which is a satchel it's a never ending satchel he can basically in 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 fan fiction of umru ayar you can actually he can actually ask a jinn climb into my satchel and jinn will be imprisoned by the satchel is every book like one story independent of this so is it all just one story without stop and you have to read all of it just to get it i i, I think Well I think it's the adventures they keep continuing. So I I I do think that the volumes are self sufficient but then they keep going as well. So it's a larger narrative or small narratives. Okay, okay. I got it. Thank you. Okay, so now we can move on. So you got to uh, more adult uh, books. I did. So I have never read the original because in Urdu the Urdu that the language the language of uh the epic is actually pretty it's dense and i i have not read the 25 volumes uh, in urdu i have read the abridged versions by the time it came for me time came for me that i should have started reading it i had switched to english predominantly mm-hmm. so i had started in urdu that much which is a pity i should have i wish i had continued um so my urdu education is lacking now i'm much better at english than i am in urdu but um so anyway so that's where i think my earliest love comes from i i was never fond of those moralistic stories there's some digest kid digest that were really you know moralistic and you do this good boys do this bad boys do this that sort of crap 
I was never interested in that. Um, and um, so I never had any use for these social, you know, social issues, realism, sort of good stories for children. I had no interest in them. I like fantasy. Um, I, except I never knew the term fantasy. You thought about it that way. Um, it was only later when I was in grade six or grade seven that I discovered, you know, Christopher Pike, then R.L. Stein, then Stephen King, then Clive Barker, then Isaac Asimov, then Arthur C. Clarke, and then they're on. But I have I don't, I don't consider myself necessarily a science fiction writer because I'm not very good at science fiction. Um, I'm I think I I I have written some science fiction. I've been in a couple of years by science fiction anthologies as well, but I'm not very good at writing it. Um, it's more an accident than anything else that I've done some science fiction. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's go like step by step, if you don't mind. So you're reading a lot. When did that become like uh, writing? I think that that turned into writing very early on. Even in grade three, I was writing letters to those, those kitty newspapers. Oh, I really love your <laughs> newspaper. Thank you so much. And I remember being published in one such kitty magazine. I was, I was like seven or eight years old and I was running around the house showing everyone my letter. Oh, so nice. I remember So I think that that germ of writing <laughs> probably started somewhere around that time. And so when it becomes serious, like uh, did you say I'm go- I was going to have a job and just write on the side or did you say I have to be a writer or die or No, uh, by grade seven, I had started really being interested in uncanny weird stuff. like I had discovered Gidi Mopassan, I had discovered Edgar Allan Poe. And I yeah. wanted to write like Edi Maupassant and Edgar Allan Poe. So I, I, there was a time for almost three months, I would write a story a week. I was like 12 years old or 11, something like that. 11, actually, probably mm-hmm. 11. 11 or 12. And I was writing a story a week. And, you know, I have probably have those notebooks somewhere. Um, and they were really weird stories. They were imaginative stories. There were stories about this man who dreams his hand has been chopped off. And at the end, his hand gets chopped off. <laughs> Or I don't know whether it was his foot made. So, you know, I was right. You know, I'm named, I'm named after Guy de Maupassant. I'm named after Guy de Maupassant. I found out in my 20s, I think. Oh, is that right? So is yeah. it Guy or Guy? I'm Guy, but I'm named after Guy. You write it the same way. It's just uh, not French. Uh, that's very cool. Very cool. My mother loved reading him. And uh, she thought maybe I would be an author when I grow up. Turns out. Well, it sounds like you're at least uh, you're uh, author adjacent if you're not an author. I'm, no, no, I'm, I'm an author. I became an author. Well, that's what I'm saying, that you're, uh, even if you weren't an author, you would still be an author adjacent. Oh, uh, right. Person. Yes, yes. yes okay, sorry. I just had to say that because you're the first guest who mentioned that. So okay. you're reading uh, a lot of stuff. And when did you think it was uh, serious? Like, when did you... So I did not think it was serious till I was 31. Okay. Because I had, I'm a medical doctor by profession. And so I, I wrote a bunch in my teens. I didn't really submit to publish till I was almost 18 or nine. I mean, I, I, I suppose I maybe submitted once or twice in Urdu, in like Urdu kid lit magazines. And I got published. I, I, I published a couple of original Umru Yar fan fiction stories. Um, I, I had actually forgotten about that. Like, you just asked me, I've forgotten about that. Mm-hmm. I just remember that 
I have actually I published a couple of original stories, um, original fan fiction when I was in class six, maybe. And, Wait, let's uh, talk about the fan fiction. Like, what kind of fan fiction uh, was it? Well, you know, Umru Yar, it's kind of like writing a Tarzan story. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be, I mean, I'm not writing the original Tarzan, but it's such a big character now. Superman is such a big character. If I wrote anything, it would be fan fiction. I couldn't say it's original work. So yeah. Umru Yar is that big in our part of the world. Every child who grew up in Pakistan in the, uh, from, I don't know, from the 50s all the way to 2010 knows who Umru Yar is. And to the radios who don't know who he is. Umru the trickster. Oh, the, that's the, the trickster. Okay. The guy, the guy from the epic. Yeah. Okay. So he was such a big thing. And now I'm thinking at some point I should cosplay Umru. <laughs> But sure. anyway. So at 31, uh, you were thinking, you were starting, you were first seeing that it could be serious. Yes, I had been a medical doctor for several years, um, but I had, become, I had been attending and attending a medical and internal medicine attending for two years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, my, it was just weird because I was just missing home. I was in Florida that time. And I think I was missing Pakistan or missing my family more than anything else. And then I was like, I need to do something else besides medicine. I don't like this alone. And that's when I got into writing. And how do you get into writing? Like, did, I, did you decide, I'm just writing and I'm just sending this to literary magazines or did you try sending them to uh, fantasy and science fiction magazines? And were you thinking writing this in uh, Urdu or in uh, English? Yeah, so um, I started, yeah, I, mean, I had no idea what the pro markets were. I didn't know how it went. I didn't mm-hmm. understand anything about I had never met a I was I had never met a proper writer till I was 31. I didn't know that prop, how whether they dropped from trees or how you, whether you went to school to become a writer I had no idea. And so when I started writing again in 2012 when I was I was about 30 at that time I just um, I just started googling like everyone else and I and I just started you know Friending, befriending writers on Facebook and started following them on Twitter. And then slowly I realized, okay, this is how it works. I started writing stories to themes or to market with themes. I got rejected a few times, well, several times in the beginning. And, um, I, I, and I had no idea what I was doing, what kind of stories I wanted to write. I was trying to do weird original things, but I didn't know how you did that. I mean, mm-hmm. how does a story work? How would a story work? I was a total amateur. So, you know, slowly I started developing friendships, started networking. Then I realized, okay, these are pro markets. Okay, this is, and then I started studying stories on my own. I had never attended a writing class since I was 14 years old and I did my O-levels. So my, my, my writing class was my O-levels English. Um, you know, that, I was 15 years old at that time. So I, I didn't know how you learned how to go about writing. And so anyway, I started, you know, reading more, started studying craft books, started studying writers and how the, the shape of short stories. And I think in short fiction, um, I actually, I wrote a novel. It was a 150,000 word novel, which I wrote at night in six months <laughs> wow. after my work. And, and it, was, it was just bad. I mean, it, it got me agented briefly, but it was bad. I mean, 
So I was not going to sell that. I was not happy with it. And so I told my agent so. Um, and then I switched to short fiction for almost a decade. I only wrote short fiction. I didn't try to write a novel again for almost seven, eight years. I didn't think I was ready. And so in short fiction, you know, I started, I started learning more, started submitting more. Then I started, you know, publishing small things here and there. I think my big break came with, um, with the Clarion West Writers Workshop. I, someone told me there's a workshop called the Clarion West Writers Workshop. I Googled it, you know, Neil Gaiman and Joe Hill and Ellen Datlow and Samuel R. Delaney, Margot Lanigan, Elizabeth Hand were the instructors that year. And I'm like, oh my God, um, I'm never going to get into this. That's not going to happen. But I was like, you know what I'm going to do? What am I good at? I'm good at studying. I'm a doctor. I, I study. <laughs> so I'm going to study how to get into, a, <laughs> into this workshop. So I basically bought the book on Clarion and memorized it. I, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was kind of, now I think about it, it was kind of fun. You know, I was just like this kid trying to learn how to do these things. And then I wrote 10 stories and I submitted my best of the two 10 stories and I got in. So then once I got in, then I met other writers. Then I learned how do you critique? How do you receive critique? How do people work stories? And then I finally decided that this is what I want to do. I want to be this kind of a writer. This is what I'm interested in. Wait, wait, what was like, what were all those teachers like? Those are all really big names. What were they like? <laughs> well, everyone is different. So Chip, Samuel Ardellini, Chip is a very different kind of a writer from Margot Lanigan. Elizabeth Hand is a very different writer from Joe Hill. Gaiman oh. is very different from Joe Hill. So, you know, I learned different things from different people. Um, um, you know, they were wonderful teachers. They were wonderful writers. I agreed with some of their things and I disagreed with some of their things as one should. Um, and because, you know, writing is not a straight, simple path. Everyone has their own ideas about writing and how you go about it. Uh-huh. I learned things. They gave me valuable feedback. Everyone's feedback helped me in some way. No one was wrong and no one was right. Okay. So you figured out this is what you want to do at the end That's of the Yeah. But I wanted to start fiction first. I want to really become good at it. And so what did you do next then? I, I came from Clarion. It was interesting because from 2012 to 2013, June, till I got to Clarion, I was on fire. And I wanted to conquer the world, right? And um, after Clarion, I calmed down. And now I'm like, no, I'm, I don't want to conquer the world this quickly. I can take my time. I'm not in a hurry anymore. So I kind of sort of burnt out in a way and I'm like, I'm going to take it easy. But um, I guess my taking it easy was I went home and I wrote two or three stories and I sold all three at pro markets. Um, nice. I, sold, I sold popper prints to tour.com, Ellen Datlow at tour.com. I sold, uh, what else? Vaporization Inthalpy sold to a small anthology, but that was the story that ended up becoming nominated for the Nebula and it won the Bram Stoker. I wrote that at Clarion. Um, What, what, did it, what did that feel like? Like being nominated, uh, winning, what is that? It was weird. How did, how did you feel? It was weird. I mean, to, in 2012, I had no bloody idea how any of this worked. In 2014, I was up for the Nebula. It was, it was crazy. Uh-huh. It was just nuts. It was like, what's happening? I don't understand. How is this? What, what is going on here? <laughs> it was nuts. I mean, it was, um, I don't know. I really lucked out. I'm very fortunate in that way. People, I, I have friends, I have teachers, I have friends who've done this for 20 years and, you know, you know, they, they, they have not been, I mean, you know, it's, I'm not saying that anyone should want anything. I'm just saying that 
it was just weird. I, I, it was like I smashed through those couple of barriers overnight. It, it was as if suddenly I understood what I wanted to do. And once I understood what I wanted to do, I was not afraid anymore. So I was like, I'm going to write things that I like. I'm not afraid anymore. So screw it. This is what I'm going to do. And if you don't like it, screw you. <laughs> That's the approach. Yeah. Good. And did your life change after uh, you know being nominated? Like, did you feel people, more people are coming in, more people are noticing you, more reviews? Yeah. Um, after the Nebula nomination, um, yeah, there was a big difference after the Bram Stoker. So the same story won the Bram Stoker, which honestly it shouldn't have. It, it's not really a horror story, but apparently people think it's scary. Um, so, um, you know, yeah, people all of a sudden knew me, knew my name. I got tons of solicitations. I still, I mean, it, it sort of started my career. My career started off that way, but Popper Prince is the one that really cemented, I think, my cemented my my uh, reputation in the way that after that, Popper Prince won the British Fantasy Award the next year. And so those back-to-back two years of, you know, notice kind of helped a lot. And uh, people knew that, you know, that if this guy can at least at the least he can write short fiction um and we should you know notice we should at least read give his story a chance um so i think that made a difference okay so and i think you know i've noticed that pattern of if you win year after year one year you know it's okay it's a lot of attention but if people notice that you are consistent in the quality of stuff that you do the attitude towards you changes in a really big way from, I mean, the audience, the, the readers. Hmm. Um, I suppose that's true. Um, I, I guess maybe that is true in, in several ways. I think that, I think it's great if a reader's attitude towards you or editor's attitude or publishing houses editors toward attitude towards you changes. I think it's great. And then you get more chances. But I think that as a writer, it's always useful not to fall for that trap because then you're going to only write stories you think can win something or stories that you know a particular market is going to like. Well, no. I mean, you can write to markets. Nothing wrong with that. Lucius Shepard is famous for writing a story in which told everyone I'm going to win the Hugo with the story. And he did win the Hugo with that story. So, you know, I mean, he's famous for that. Well-known, it's a well-known anecdote. So, you know, I mean, you can write stories in a particular way because you know people like certain things mm-hmm. and it's your choice. But as an artist, as, as a writer, if you are someone who doesn't want that, if you're someone who says, I love doing certain things, I love playing with certain things and I love the feeling that what I am trying to do, no one has ever tried to do this before or at least not this way. I think that's more satisfying to me. So I really get a kick out of stories. For example, I, when I grew up, there was not a single science fiction story set in Pakistan ever. Forget about Pakistan, nothing in India. Very few stories in India, very few stories in South Asia. It was all white, white, white people. America, England, America, England, maybe France, maybe, you know, all Europe, right? So white, I was straight, like- Good looking males, all scientists, yeah. Exactly. And so, you know, I was like, well, you know, you don't. So when I started coming up in the field, I wanted to write stories that I get a kick out of writing stories and setting them in places right next to my house. Because then there's a there's a pleasure in it. There's a tactile pleasure in it almost. 
um and i you know i get that feedback from pakistani readers now pakistani <laughs> pakistan did not pakistanis did not know i existed till last year really um, oh yeah no one knew in pakistan they still don't know they have no idea who i am or what i do but last year my collection came out in pakistan and then <coughs> more people kind of took but wait, wait, wait. i've been in the last couple of years yeah go ahead I'm sorry. Go ahead. What were you saying? <coughs> I was saying, how is that possible? Like, even if you didn't try to 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 find fans uh, in Pakistan, it must have hit the news that you know that you won uh, awards, and then they say, "Hey, someone from our, you know, from our place has has won." That always gets news, right? So in 2014 2015 for like 3 days there was this one piece of news about me winning the bram stoker and then it pretty much all of it pretty much went away very quickly i was living in florida at that time if i were living in pakistan at that time it might have been different mm-hmm. and suddenly people might have reached out and said hey do you want to do this radio show do you want to do this tv show whatever so um but the, i was not here um and after that Pakistanis are not very good at marketing their own people in general. Um I mean it's well known here that and they they care more about celebrities than artists and writers. It's just that way. It's been that way forever. So uh literature is not on the same par. I guess that's true in the US and the UK as well, you know. Entertainment industry is different from literature. Uh there's a famous um a, a big um saying in Israel uh saying uh, uh a prophet is in a prophet at home in his city basically which means you know you can be very big but when it's your it's your stuff the people don't really you know it's the same thing in Israel uh, uh about science fiction authors who made it outside it's in some of the interviews i've had it's the same thing always only once you're really big outside do they really look at you in a, in a different way um Yeah. Uh it's it's interesting but how big is how how um how big and how active is the science fiction fantasy whole community in Pakistan the fans so in 2015 zero very very small um it was nothing i mean we had people in pockets who like science fiction but you would never see a science fiction story necessarily in a big magazine or you would never see uh, th- there has never been a science fiction convention in Pakistan ever so yes. nothing the lit festivals here they invite nobel prize winners but they have never done sure. a single session on science fiction till last year when i moved to pakistan was it because of you <laughs> no i wouldn't say no. because of me I think it was more a coincidence but till last year um they had never done a science fiction panel at a major literary festival in Pakistan like ever and what was it like uh you mean last year or before yeah last year well last year uh, because i was here and i was a little bit more involved um we ended up doing a session on science fiction through the LLF which is a Lahore literary festival and it was online it was on zoom and so it was a little bit more fun um and um then i la- we launched my book through llf uh, lahore literary festival 
and then we got to talk about science fiction and fantasy but this was on this was in the pandemic area so yeah. zoom is not the as you know being in person it's a different feeling yeah yeah can you talk a little bit about uh uh you know how writing books was different what your book was about and uh so my book was a collection of sh- short stories over the last decade so i chose seven of my stories from the last decade stories that i felt best represented my evolution as a writer my interest as a writer and the versatility of how i work my the my styles and how i do them and so i chose seven stories it's a it's about a 50000 55000 word book and um we we pub, we printed it designed it published it in pakistan um and uh, it actually did very well um for a <laughs> in pakistan uh, for a first print run most books take like 2 years before they'll sell a thousand copies um, wow it's a very small in english it's a very small um english uh, readership because of, i mean there are multiple reasons but um uh, historically they would say it's a small readership but midnight doorway sold its first print run in 4 months uh, which wow. was incredible because suddenly there was a lot of buzz about the book and we actually had um, um i commissioned seven different uh, nine artists to uh, for so there were seven illustrations one for each story then an eighth artist for design ninth artist for cover art so we had it was almost a showcase a showcase of pakistani speculative art uh-huh. and so book is almost a collectible it's 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 a really pretty thing i'll show it to you at the end it's a uh-huh. really pretty beautiful book um with a beautiful cover seven uh, original pieces of art in it and uh, so yeah so it it kind of it, it got a lot of buzz it got a lot of reviews um and uh, yeah it did really well it's still doing well sounds amazing and what's next for you so i am i have i'm supposed to write <laughs> i still haven't started yet i'm supposed to write two stories um this year um oh. and i have a novel and i've been working on it since last year but in the pandemic i sort of burnt out and then i stopped um so i i i'm supposed to return to my novel this year which i will that's my that's actually next on my list of things to get done it's a new novel and nothing to do with my old novel which i've trunked i don't i i don't think i can fix it yet maybe never Do you feel uh, writing a novel is different now? You've written a lot of short stories, you know. You know how that works. So the pacing in a novel, I think, is the big thing. You have to be much more careful with a novel than you have to be in a short story. And the the commercial, uh, there has to be some sort of a commercial. Um, I think I shouldn't. The word commercial kind of starts sounding weird, you know. Then you're like, uh, whether it's commercial, well, how do you differentiate? I guess. at the end of the day screw the word commercial right i mean at the end of the day an artist's job is to make the reader turn the page no matter mm-hmm. how so i think that anyone any writer worth their salt no matter what genre no matter what pacing no matter what they're doing ultimately it is an artist's it is a writer's art to be able to learn how to make the reader turn the page and so that sort of pacing is different for short fiction than for novels in short fiction Uh, you have a little bit more flexibility yes you can um uh, because you know you don't have sagging middles short fiction is a quick sweet punch right i mean you 
get started. Even if you slow down a little bit, that's okay because you'll catch up very quickly. In a novel, if you let that slip away, you can have a huge sagging middle. And there's no shame in absolutely saying that lots of beautiful books have been destroyed by sagging middles. Um, and they should not have been because it is part of our art to keep the reader turn the make the reader turn the page in however capacity you want them to do it. It doesn't. It's not a lit litfic. Good litfic should do the same thing, right? Good litfic should do the same thing. Good science fiction should do the same thing. Good detective stories should do the same thing. In fact, um, uh, I was reading aspects of the novel by E. M. Forster. Um, you know the guy who wrote a passage to India. And uh, uh, Foster talks about it. He says at the end of the day, nothing matters as much in a novel as how much. Yeah, he. I'm paraphrasing. He says entertainment value absolutely is one of the biggest values in a in a novel. And I agree. I think it's uh, the pleasure and the uh, entertainment the novel will provide are important goals. Yeah, it's 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 your it's it's a tool you have, right? It's it's the stuff on which you build everything else that you want to build. Like I, I do, uh, I I do find it hard, for example, to switch uh, from one place to another in the middle. Like, well, Star Wars, for example, always in the end, George Lucas. This, this is they're fighting here, they're fighting here, and I could never do that in a novel because I feel that the second I do that, I lose people just a little bit because it's not the same plot. I like people to. You start the first sentence and you can't stop until it's the last sentence. And that's the idea of doing that. It's not easy. <laughs> yes. Okay, good. So it sounds, um, it's, it was very surprising for me to hear actually that there was no, no big science fiction base or fantasy, you know, Fan base in, in Pakistan, because as far as I, I know, yeah. I think I we sort of went another way. I was going to say there was none in 2015, but there is one now. In fact, there is a pretty decent now a, a, a community of science fiction writers from Pakistan. Um, so in basically in 2016, 2017, 2016, uh, there was a new award called the Salam Award for Imaginative Fiction that we set, I helped set up with some friends. And um, uh, after that, and even otherwise, not—I shouldn't say it's just because of that award, but the award made a big difference. But so did this rising consciousness of how interesting science fiction was and how relevant it was. And uh, because you know, because of the Zoomers, the new kids who are growing up in this time, um, and the world is a, this is a science fictional world, right? I mean, iPads and iPhones and. Um, black, you know, dystopias and pandemics and climate change. So this is a science fiction world. Um, I think that science fiction anymore. It's not science fiction anymore. So it's basically. I was telling someone. I did an interview yesterday with um, with an editor and with a blogger in India, and I was telling them. I said, you know, think about it. I mean, anyone today who's not touching on technology and climate change, they are not writing realist fiction. They are writing escapist fiction. If you, if your book or your work today does not have, does not at least glance at, or even, or engage with, um, even just a hint of climate change or uh, a hint of the pandemic, how can you write a book now without having the pandemic at least have a shadow of it somewhere? 
I mean, if you are, well, great for you. That's fine. But that's not realist fiction anymore. The pandemic has to feature in there because we just lived through it. Similarly, we're living through climate change. We have technology. You and I are Zooming. For 50 years ago, if, if we talked about Zooming, this was Star Trek. Right. So, <laughs> fictional world and anyone who, who's like, no, I want to write about these big social issues about communism and Marxism or whatever, and you don't have this angle to it, you are the one who's writing fantasy. You're not writing realism anymore. And you're saying that creating an award created basically uh, people who were incentivized suddenly to write those kinds of channels, right? I think that I wouldn't say it was just the award. I think the award helped certainly because now around the award, we definitely have a really nice community of fans and people who've come together and they, they talk to each other. They are, they are, they are now they have to tea groups. Um, uh, at least two people from the Salam Award have, well, three people from the Salam Award have gone on to sell professionally. Um, nice. um, Khalid won the Salam and now she is slushing for Clark's World. And, huh. um, and now we, Noor Nasreen Ibrahim was a finalist. She has uh, sold tons of stories. She's in the Golands book of South Asian science fiction. So is Kekashan. Samin Siddiqui has nothing to do with the Salam Award. He's an American Pakistani, but Salim was in Neil Clark's Best of the Year this year. So there's a great community that has coalesced now, not just around the award, but just come together serendipitously anyway. Fantastic. Uh, one last I thing about pretty, Yeah, go ahead. Nice, nice. No, no, go ahead. Uh, I, I would think, you know, just because the internet in Israel was because their phones and fans found each other, but then came Lord of the Rings, the Lord of the Ring movies, which created a lot of fans. Harry Potter books created a lot of uh, communities all across the world. Now the Marvel movies and the DC, you know, uh, and it was very strange that until 2014-15, there was no community. Yeah, um, there were definitely people in small pockets who probably talked to each other, but there was nothing I would say. So there is, there has still, there has yet to be a science fiction con in Pakistan. There has yet to be a science fiction uh, um, uh, literary festival in Pakistan or, a, or, I don't know, a science fictional weekend or something. Hmm. We don't have, and those are things that people need to work on. And, and well, I mean, to be honest, we are working on it now. I mean, I'm working on it as well. Um, we do a lot of events now. Um, I've actually done short fiction workshops in Pakistan now, which there was never a science fiction workshop in Pakistan until 2014 ever. Writing oh. workshop. Ever. People had, there was, there had no been no classes on science fiction till 2014 ever. So, you know, I mean, that is sort of slowly it's changing. And now we have good people in universities who are teaching courses um, and working on this. Wow. Nice progress. <laughs> well, it's slow and steady going. It's going. Yeah. Where can people find you? Um, you can find me on my website, usmanmalik.org. That's U-S-M-A-N-M-A-L-I-K.org. Um, you can actually buy a copy of the book there, and we do ship everywhere. Um, um, we, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at usmantm, U-S-M-A-N-T-M, and uh, Instagram, Usman Tanvir Malik, U-S-M-A-N-T-A-N-V-E-E-R-M-A-L-I-K. 
and uh, of course um, i'm i'm usually uh, active on twitter and uh, facebook as well um and they can read ton- i have tons of free stories on my website you can go to the bibliography section and you can find a lot of free stuff um my collection midnight doorways hachette india just bought the rights they're bringing it out in 2022 um, oh. so the book i just saw the cover uh, the concept art for the cover yesterday it's really pretty um and uh, the book's also sold for polish rights so it should be coming out in poland next year um so the book seems to be doing reasonably well and um i will be i i will have two stories out this year and i already have a story out last year it's called, it's on tor.com it's called hashtag spring love hashtag pitchal peri a pitchal peri is a backfooted creature in pakistan so uh-huh. nice thank you very much thank you very much for coming and uh, for the interview thank you very much guy for the invite and i look forward to catching you around on the interwebs Thank you so much to Osman. You can check out all his links in the show notes, the website, the Twitter, the Instagram. Now, next time, because there's always a next time, we're going to talk to a person with a completely different approach to life and to creating uh, things, different from all the 68 episodes that have been published so far. So stick around for that. Digitamine Powers appears on Tuesdays and Thursdays every week, and we are back to that. So I hope you enjoy the episodes. And in the meantime, let me know what you thought about this episode. Email me at guy.hasson at geektaminpowers.com. That's guy.hasson, hasson at geektaminpowers, one word, dot com. The website is geektaminpowers.com on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. We're at geektaminpowers. If you want to check out my other podcast, The Squash Buckler Diaries, which is an experiment in epic fantasy. And whatever you imagine when you hear that, that's not it. Feel free to check that out, the Squash Buckler Diaries. I will see you next time, and for now, have an empowered day.